Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. This is Denise Brown, your host of Your Caregiving Journey, a talk show that helps you with family members and friends. It's Monday. It's 10 a.m. Central Time. It is March 13th. As you know, we get together on Mondays to start off your week with good company and interesting conversation. Just a few moments. My experts who join me on Mondays will join us. We're going to have an interesting conversation. I'll tell you about that in just a few moments. A couple updates for you to be aware of. So, as you know, our second annual National Caregiving Conference is in November. We do our best to help you get there. We know that money is tight during caregiving, and we also know that it can be difficult to organize the help so that you can get to the conference. So. Our contest, which begins today, encourages your family members to organize a break for you so you can get to the conference. Now, I know that you're probably chortling, rolling your eyes, ready to stop listening. We're going to do what we can to really get the message out to your family members that a break is good for you, that they can organize this break, and that it'll be okay. So that's the contest that starts today. The contest is about your family members organizing a trip for you to the National Caregiving Conference. And we're going to throw in a couple prizes to help your stay be that much better. So if you are thinking, could I go to the conference? How could I do it? Send a leak to family members about our contest or start letting them know that this would really be something that would be fantastic for you. We're going to do what we can to help you. So again, the contest starts this afternoon. I'll post about it on caregiving.com. I'll help your family members get organized about the break for you. And we're putting together the incentive for them to participate in the contest by making that trip to our conference that much more special. So the name of the contest is Families of Family Caregivers Give a Break. And again, I'll have details about that on caregiving.com later today. We've got a couple special activities going on on caregiving.com this week. We have a webinar tomorrow evening that helps you find time for what you love. Elizabeth Miller, who joined us last week on the podcast, is going to lead that webinar. And she's leading that webinar as part of her criteria to become a certified caregiving consultant. So as you know, I ask students in our training program to either lead a special chat or lead a webinar or lead a chat on Twitter. So you actually gain by having more information, resources shared through the students. The students get practice. They put themselves out there to challenge themselves with creating a special program. And that's one of the criteria then that leads them to be certified. So Elizabeth's webinar is tomorrow evening 8 p.m. Eastern Time, and I'll have details about how you can watch on caregiving.com. On Sunday, I'm leading a special webinar that walks you through what it takes to become a certified caregiving consultant, 
and then helps you decide if enrolling in our training program is the right decision for you. Our next virtual training starts on April 3rd. So when you join me on Sunday, which is March, bear with me as I look it up on my calendar. So next Sunday is March 19th. Can you believe that? Oh my gosh. I'll walk you through the training program. The initial training is called Certified Caregiving Consultant. And then I'll tell you if you want to continue your education, you can become a Certified Caregiving Educator. You can become a Certified Caregiving Presenter. In addition, there's new training that I'm launching in the next few months, and I'll tell you about that. It's very exciting. I've been thinking a lot about it. I'm excited to, to roll it out, and I'm excited to tell you more about it. So when you join me on Sunday, March 19th, at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, I'll tell you about the training programs. And it's also an opportunity for, for you to ask me questions. What are you worried about enrolling in a training program like this? What questions do you have? What concerns? What can I help you with? So you can actually ask me questions during the live webinar, and I'll address them. So again, it's Sunday, March 19th at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, which is 3 p.m. Central Time, 2 p.m. Mountain Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time. So if you've been thinking, what's this Certified Caregiving Consultant Training Program? Is it right for me? Is it a good investment for me? Join me for this free webinar. I'll share about all the programs that I offer to help you turn a personal caregiving experience into a career. So that's Sunday, March 19th, 4 p.m. Eastern Time. So those are the special events that are going on on caregiving.com this week. We continue a podcast series, which I started a few weeks ago, about working and caregiving. And that podcast series is directly related to a special event we have happening in Chicago on June 2nd. That event, Caregiving in the Workplace, is the first of a series of special summits we're going to do. Purpose of these summits is to really look at what's the impact of caregiving on a system or a relationship or a circumstance. So the first one is this June 2nd summit, Caregiving in the Workplace, starts in the morning, continues through 1 p.m., then we break for lunch if you'd like to stay for lunch, and then break up into working groups to really dig deeper into this topic. So the event is organized with a presentation to launch us off, and Callie Williams-Yost, who wrote a book, great book called Tweak It, is going to start off our discussion with really a presentation about what is the issue. What is the issue from the working family caregiver's perspective, what's the issue from the employer's perspective? So she is really going to give context around our conversation. And then we have three panel discussions, one that shares the perspective of the working family caregivers. Then we move into a panel discussion that shares the perspective of employers. And then we continue into a panel discussion around what are the best practices if you're a working family caregiver, what best practices can you embrace that help you stay relevant in your career, 
provide care in a way that you feel like, okay, I'm doing enough. And then we'll share the perspective of employers. What are their best practices? What can they do to create an environment that supports working family caregivers while staying in touch with the true goals of productivity and revenue? So that's Friday, June 2nd. That's in Chicago. It's at the Chicago Marriott O'Hare, which is the conference hotel for last year's National Caregiving Conference and this year's second annual National Caregiving Conference. There is a group rate at the hotel if you want to fly in or if you're driving from somewhere in the Midwest and you think, oh, I'm not getting up at 4 a.m. to drive, you can stay at the hotel the night before. There is a group rate. And then you can join us for light continental breakfast on the morning of June 2nd. Stay for the conversations. And then if you want, join us for lunch and then dig deeper into the issues with working groups. Again, you can find out all the information about this special summit on caregiving.com. So this is a podcast morning. Oh, you know what? And I meant to mention that the podcast tomorrow features Linda Kanicki, and she's going to talk about caring for her mom, keeping her career on track. And that podcast airs at 11 a.m. Eastern time. If you can't listen live, the podcast is available on our Blog Talk Radio show page, which is blogtalkradio.com slash caregiving and on caregiving.com. So it's a podcast Monday. We had a podcast earlier this morning with Holly, who cared for her husband and has been a regular guest on our monthly podcast since October 2010. Six and a half years. And I think of Holly's podcast, True Serial Series. So serial podcasts have been hot. And I think about the podcast that we've done with Holly as really being a serial because we started a conversation with Holly when, oh my gosh, she was a few years into caregiving. And then we continued all the way through her husband's death. She joined me on a podcast two weeks after his death to tell us what it was like. Amazing. And then she continues to join us to talk about life after caregiving. And so today we discussed labels. We had started the conversation after our February podcast. We were talking about the label of widow. What does she like about that label? Does she like it? Is it a label that fits? Does it reflect where she is, who she is? And I kind of broadened our discussion into a discussion about what about the label of caregiver? Is that a label that we want? Is that a label that's reflective of who we are and what we do? Do we want to be labeled caregivers? So I'll give you a little background on the term because it's kind of a touch point with me. If you want to make me crazy, (laughs) tell me that family caregivers don't self-identify. They don't call themselves caregivers. So here's why that premise makes me crazy. It started off years ago. I would say 16 years ago, there were two associations dedicated to helping those in a caregiving situation spend money to figure out 
why don't family caregivers self-identify? So let's step back for a minute. Family caregivers is that generic term we use just to make sure that we're talking about the right person. So a family caregiver is a family member who cares for spouse, parent, grandparent, child. And on caregiving.com, we say, and anyone they, they consider to be family. A professional caregiver is that person that you hire to provide care. It could be a home health aide, could be a companion sitter. So the reason that you, we use the term family caregiver is to really differentiate that from the professional caregiver. So 16 years ago, two associations spent money, research dollars, to figure out whether or not family caregivers self-identify. Now, this makes me crazy because here is my perspective of that research spending. Now, you may listen to this and think, oh, my gosh, Denise listens to CNN and <laughs> and conspiracy theories too much. But this has always been my perspective on that research project, and that was they were associations who weren't reaching their constituents. And so rather than figuring out what do we do different with our marketing, they decided to say, well, it's because people don't identify as a caregiver. And it made me really mad because they put the onus on the family caregiver to say, well, I'm a caregiver, so now I'm going to look for associations and organizations that help me, rather than the organizations saying, we reach this specific person who's in a caregiving situation. What are the words, what are the terms, what are the descriptors we use to reach them? So instead of them using money to really work on their marketing of efforts, they did this whole research project around family caregivers don't, don't self-identify. And again, I believe it was to get themselves off the hook because they weren't effectively reaching their constituents. So then that stuck, that family caregivers don't self-identify, and then you still hear it to this day, and I truly believe that's a cop-out because it's our responsibility if we have an organization or a business that sells products or services to help those who care for a family member to use the words and the descriptors that reach them. Okay, so caregiver is a word that we see all the time now, including in advertising. And this is something that I talked to Holly about this morning. So there's an ad that a pharmaceutical company has created. And in that ad, it talks about moments in time that have affected a family. And it's a individual who has diagnosis of Alzheimer's because it's a pharmaceutical company selling a drug for persons with Alzheimer's. So in this ad, a family member will say, March 16th, the day my dad forgot how to shave. September 10th, the day my, mom, my, my husband forgot the names of our grandchildren. And then they say, this, these family members, this is the day I became a caregiver. Now that drives me nuts. And we talked a lot about it with Holly, so I'll just ask you to listen to the podcast with Holly. But I wanted to talk to Colleen and Carolyn about that. What do we think about that label of caregiver? Is that reflective of who we are? And I want to ask them whether or not they related to that while they were in a caregiving experience. So joining me this morning is Colleen Cavanaugh. 
Her website is thelongeststands.com. She cared for both of her parents for a decade. She is now a certified caregiving consultant who helps, helps family caregivers streamline their lives and cultivate a sense of mission that supports them through the less-than-perfect days. Good morning, Colleen. Good morning, Denise. So Carolyn Grant is also joining us. She has 10 years of experience caring for both of her parents while also raising a family. She teaches her clients to recognize their own unique strengths as a caregiver. There we go. How to listen actively and to proactively communicate with everyone from doctors to extended family members. Good morning, Carolyn. Good morning, Denise. So let's start where I left off. So I I shared a lot. And I'm just wondering, Colleen, as you were listening, what were you thinking? That I'm going to run the risk of getting you mad on podcast live because I was one of those people who did not self-identify as a caregiver when I went through it. And even though I was deeply involved in knowing everything I possibly could about my parents' illnesses and how to do everything that I was at that time felt like I was reinventing the wheel um, because I just didn't know anyone who went through what I had gone through at my age. And I didn't know, oh, I'm a caregiver. And all of the resources that I went to, like you mentioned about the marketing, nothing really resonated with me as to, oh, there's something that's affecting me as well. I was just focused on my patients, which were my parents. Exactly. Okay. So, Carolyn, what would you say? What would you add? I would say that it never occurred to me to consider myself a family caregiver. I was just being a loving daughter. And even though I did everything that fit the definition of caregiving, I think the thing that made me keep going was that I was proud of not shirking my responsibilities of giving back um, because I had a sibling that did not do that. So for me, it was I'm connected to my parents and I'm going to learn from this and I'm going to support them best that I can. Carolyn, can I ask you a question about that? What else were sure. you doing when you were, when you were caring for your parents? Did you have other things going on in your life at the time? And if so what were they? I was putting together my resume to relaunch back into the workforce. And I was also still raising my family. So I was doing um, things more like a stay-at-home mom who was reentering the workforce. I was okay. not working outside the home. Did you – because I, I had a bunch of different balls in the air at the same time too. And I, in looking back, wonder if I didn't identify as a caregiver because – while I did know I wanted to do it and I was there, you know, wholeheartedly, it wasn't anything I planned on ever doing with my life. And I had all mm-hmm. these other facets happening at the same time. So I thought, oh, I'm a partner. I'm a parent. I'm a worker. I'm all these other things than a caregiver. And I didn't let myself just sort of focus on that one label because I had all these other things going on. And I think as mm-hmm. women – we do have all these different roles we play. And when you have to pigeonhole yourself into one thing, I, that's where I got, that, that's what I, I couldn't do that to myself. And I'm wondering if you felt the same way at all. I actually, I did because I needed to, in the beginning, it was just like, okay, I need to do this. I need to do that. You know, 
in my mom's case, there was a new diagnosis. So bam, dove right in to where are we at? What do we need to do? Um, as the demands, the daily demands increased, then I was feeling at times like, wow, I didn't, well, how did this happen? I thought I was going back to the workforce. I thought I was reclaiming my own identity post being, you know, just a mom, a young family. So the caregiver label was not something that I, just like what you said, I would not have taken it on because I was trying to be more than just a caregiver. It was about my own self-identity. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. So this is the part that makes me crazy. Why do we have to be called a caregiver? Why can't I just be called Denise, who helps her parents? Yes. Here's the other part about it that really makes me mad. We are in the healthcare system all the time. Why isn't the healthcare system providing support and information and resources for us? Why do we have to self-identify? We're in the healthcare I, system constantly. I t- and yet, I totally agree, Denise. I think when you go to a doctor's office and you are the point person handing over the Medicare card and you know getting prescriptions filled, that the person, the receptionist at that office, should see you and tip off the doctor. The doctor should see when you're in there in the office visits, and you, I think, should get a diagnosis of a, being a caregiver so that you can say, okay, wait, I, there's some things I need to do to take care of myself because I have something new happening in my life that's causing, that's going to cause physical reactions within myself and could be potentially you know, bad for my health if I don't watch it. So I don't want to be diagnosed as a family caregiver. What I want no. them to understand is the impact on me. So I started yes. this whole campaign with the CDC to track family caregiver stress after a doctor's appointment with my dad. It was during the Ebola, and I never can pronounce that disease's name correctly, but it was during that crisis. And so my dad, who was 83 at the time, suffering from cancer, looked like he was. We checked into an oncologist's doctor's office, and the nurse went through all these questions about whether my dad had traveled overseas, had been to Africa, all these questions to determine, is he a candidate for having this disease? Well, of course he wasn't. And here I was standing next to him, helping him answer the questions because he can't hear even with the hearing aids. And I thought, why aren't they asking about my stress level? Wouldn't that be a more effective way to use that time? My dad is obviously stressed out. I'm with him as a doctor's appointment. Why not ask me about my stress? Why are we tracking that, a disease that is impossible for my dad to have, when really stress is probably very prevalent in my day. Why not help me manage that stress? Mm-hmm. So I think we do things backward. Did either of you at times feel rather invisible? Oh, sure, the all the time. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure, all the time, which I always thought was so bizarre because then I was going to be the one that went home with my parents to basically implement this new treatment or manage this new line of care, whatever it would be. And honestly, the only time I felt visible was when I made a mistake. (laughs) And that's when I wanted to be invisible and just be like, oh, no, a painting on the wall. Don't look at me. So, so. I just want to mention one other thing about what makes me crazy about this focus on self-identification. So, one of the associations that spent all this money, 
then renamed themselves using the word caregiver in the name of their organization, which makes me crazy that they spent all this money saying family caregivers don't don't self-identify, and then they rebranded themselves using the name and the term caregiver. So it's a waste of money. So here's the thing that I think is important to recognize is that we're more than caregivers, right? Yes. Which is where you were going with it, Colleen. So if we're more than caregivers, why do we have to identify as being a caregiver? How do you suggest we handle then naming what we do and being and being able to find resources for ourselves if we're not caregivers? Yeah, so I help and care for my my parents. So I want to connect with others who help and care for their their parents. And here's probably where you're saying, aren't you splitting hairs? But I want to remain Denise as I do that. Mm-hmm. I don't I want to just to that. Yeah, I don't want to just be the caregiver. I want to be, be Denise who helps care for her parents. And I think you hit on where I was with it. And I, I had all these other things going on that, were such a part of me and I couldn't tack on just one label. Um, you know, and I think it's, you know, daughter is a term that people say, so you're, so I'm a mom, right? So that's, that's an easy label. I'm a mom. I know it. I don't think twice about it. And that's a label that's given to me by my son. But then if you look at caregiver, you're, you're not given that name. You, you almost have to take that name on for yourself. And I don't know if there is maybe a better way to create a sense of ownership and pride about what family caregivers do so that it's a label and a name that we want to take on and say, look at me. I am, you know, look what I can do and look what I give to a family member rather than being something that we try to like, kind of like run from of like, oh, I'm a caregiver. Yeah. Well, a lot of that is about... by your own. Go ahead, go ahead Carolyn. No, go go for it. Okay. I was just saying, I think a lot of that comes from within in your own thought process about caring for your parents or loved one, whomever, whatever family member you're caring for, because I found that tool to be what carried me through. So it was about love and connection, and that was how I was able to later think about, oh, I was a caregiver. Um, so Carolyn as a caregiver. Yes, I've always wondered, is there another term that we want to use to describe what we do? And I've never been able to get beyond that question. What do you guys think? Is it something to explore, to think about what Colleen just said? Is there another way to describe us that keeps who we are and adds to who we are? Colleen, what do you think? Well, there's so much out. Oh, go ahead, Colleen. Um, I think that's the million-dollar question, and I know that in talking with colleagues, we all know about this same question because we can be out in the world and bump into somebody who tells us their story about uh, mom has dementia, she's in assisted living and in the dementia unit, and on and on, and we, you know, we're selling her house and the whole, all the, all that goes with that. And I'm not a very pushy person, but 
uh, in particular, one woman, I, at the end of this, I said, oh, gosh, I have to reach out to her and just let her know that, like, here I am. Take my card. This is what I do. I'd love to talk to you or even just, you know, go on, read my blogs. And she goes, oh, and I said, I, you know, I help caregivers. She goes, oh, I'm not a caregiver. My, my mom right. is sick. That's all. And I was like, right. oh, my gosh. <laughs> right. But why isn't it okay that she says that? I don't know. That's right. That's why I think there should be a a badge of honor. It's It's too much. Go ahead. Badge of honor, but it's about losing your life. If you admit that you're a family caregiver, then hello, it becomes your whole life instead of you lose your identity. Yes. Right. Yes. Exactly. Which is which is why people don't call themselves that. I don't think it's necessarily related to the self-identification, but I think it's the process you go through of managing this enormous responsibility and trying to figure out how do I take that on without losing myself? And if I lose my name and have to take on another name, I can't do it. I can't do it. I just want to mention that we're going to go off our live podcast. If you're listening live, our conversation is going to continue, but you're also going to hear us drop off. But the entire conversation is available on our podcast, which is available just a few moments after our live show airs. And again, you can download the podcast through blogtalkradio.com on our page, which is caregiving, on caregiving.com, and on other outlets like iTunes. So you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes so you don't miss an episode. Okay. So isn't it more of an emotional issue? Mm -hmm. What do you think, Colleen? I, I think you're correct on that. There's a lot tied into it. And denial, yeah. I think, is one of them. And just the emotions that are attached to if you're taking care of someone, it's because they're not well. And that's really difficult. The process. Carolyn, you really had a, a response to that. What do you think? Yeah, I think that... Um, I think we need to keep the word caregiver at this point because it's been out in the media for so long. Now there are resources. People now, if they are open to it, can say, okay, I'm a caregiver. But, yes, I think in the very beginning stages until it's a way of keeping a buffer and holding on to a bit of your own life. And um, when we're in the throes and the chaotic phase, if someone out in the media mentions caregiver, then it can be a tool to say, okay, what is out there for me? And I think it's important that we keep that that title. Yeah, and I think it's also important that there are systems that we interact with all the time that can identify us for us and provide us resources, information, and support. A hospital system doesn't have to call me caregiver, but they certainly can give me information about resources in the community that can help, a list of websites that I can go to to connect with others in a similar situation. I think it's mm-hmm. not necessarily about, oh, it's got to be a label, but it's got to be an awareness about the impact of the situation on that individual, whoever it might be, the spouse, the adult child, the parent, the grandchild. That's what's missing, I think, in our systems is the idea that another is impacted by a disease process. So let's provide support and information to them. In my in my mom's case, she had cancer, and her oncology practice actually had a social worker to help support the patient and the caregiver, um, but they didn't do a good job of following through. So they actually had made it very known that the disease 
My mom was the patient. I was, my mom was told right in front of me, this is about you, Dorothy. Hmm. Never was it ever said privately, and you're going to need help too. So that was a pivotal conversation that I witnessed to realize, and my mom validated that. And she was extremely supportive of me and appreciative, I should say, of what I did. But she made it very clear. They said it was about me. Oh, wow. And that's the conversation we have to change, right? Yes. It's about both. Yeah, it's about basically anyone in the family that helps. It was about your daughter, Mm -hmm. too, Carolyn. It was about your husband. It was about everyone. And that's the conversation that's missing. Colleen, anything you'd like to add? No, I think you make a really great point that it is about the family. And if the family is brought in, what an enormous sense of strength and support is gained in that when you look at all of the people that it takes to adequately give care. Um, That's a great idea. I love it. So I just want to remind you, if you are interested in our Certified Caregiving Consultant Training Program, the next level of training, there's an educator training, and then once you go through that, there's a new training that I'm offering that helps you basically help that family that's impacted. So you can join me for the webinar, which is Sunday, March 19th, 4 p.m. Eastern Time, to learn more. We're going to close with a resource that you might not know about that would be helpful to know about. So this weekend I was at the National Association of Senior Move Managers Conference. And a senior move manager helps your aging parent, actually anyone in your family that needs to downsize, move. And the idea for a senior move manager came out of the need to help people downsize and move into something like an assisted living facility. So how do you take a house with eight rooms and 40 years of stuff, go through that and figure out, okay, now what fits in a room in an assisted living facility? So the senior move manager meets with your parent, grandparent, whoever it might be, helps them figure out what's needed in the move, and then packs everything up, moves it so that when your parent or grandparent or other aging relative arrives to the assisted living facility, their room is done. It takes the stress out of the move, and it takes the stress out of the decisions about what to move. So if you're interested in hiring a senior move manager, you can go to the National Association's website, which is NA. S is in Sam, S is in Sam, M. You know what? I'm so excited about this conversation about caregiver that I forgot to look it up. So it's N A S as in Sam, M as in mom, M as in mom dot org. Again, it's the National Association of Senior Move Managers, and you can hire a senior move manager to make a local move or to make a move from one area of the country to another. You can get a quote. You can learn more about how to 
work effectively with them by going to their website, and it's the National Association of Senior Move Managers. The website is N as in Nancy, A, S as in Sam, M as in Mom, M as in Mom.org. Okay, and that closes today's show. Thanks so much to Colleen and Carolyn. Thanks, you guys. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks. And be sure to join us on Monday mornings. We try to do uh, start your day and your week with good company and interesting conversation. Be sure to keep us posted on how you're doing. Stop by caregiving.com and let us know what's going on in your day because really and truly, we do love to know. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Bye-bye.